stewards of it. May your word guide us, may your spirit guide us, and may we bring you more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, you know, I was hoping maybe the PM session could be like advanced napping, or like couples napping, uh, but Dan told me I can't, so uh, we're going to talk about reflecting Jesus. I want to remind you again, our primary purpose, what we want to communicate to you this weekend, is that your marriage ain't all about you. Amen. It is largely, but not completely. Uh, one of the great things about marriage is that you become more than yourself. You blend with your partner. The two become one. And it's kind of like a, a superpower. Uh, can we look at the next slide? Uh, you shift from a... Oh, that's weird. You shift from a we-dentity to an I-dentity. No longer one, but two. There's a researcher named Arthur Aaron that has done some research on how couples blend. He's created what's called the self-expansion model of motivation in close relationships. Don't worry, you won't be quizzed on that. The idea is that people are motivated to enter into close relationships because they recognize something is lacking in themselves. Very much like we read in Genesis, a piece has been taken away and we need to reincorporate. And so some of this research was done with campus students, young people, uh, over 300 participants. And they just would ask them on a regular basis to describe themselves using adjectives. They found over the course of time, those that had recently gotten into a relationship, had the butterflies and new love, started using more adjectives to describe themselves because they were absorbing a little bit of the other person, bringing on some qualities, or maybe even starting to see themselves in a new light, that I have these qualities in me that are awakening as I'm falling in love. That is most pronounced in new couples. That does taper off as we, <laughs> as we get out of the honeymoon phase. Uh, but what is interesting in mature relationships is that he did have mature couples come in for some research. And they were asked to go through a questionnaire of descriptors for themselves and for their mate. So they would check off the boxes of things that would describe them and a separate questionnaire for things that describe their mate. They would come back a week later. They would look at the same list. And they were asked to, to pick the ones that described themselves. The, the items that described both of them together. Like let's say for Amanda and I, uh, we both really like uh, literature. Mm -hmm. Okay, So we're both like artistic and stuff like that. They were, very, they were more quick to identify those qualities that they shared together. Mm -hmm. The ones that only describe one person or the other, like extrovert, introvert, they actually were a little bit slower to identify those, suggesting that the two are blending. It's harder to differentiate. The extrovert, that's Amanda, right? Because we've spent so much time together, I've actually come more out of my shell. I've become a more, I wouldn't say extroverted person, more outgoing person because of her. So there's something... Amazing that happens in marriage where the identity becomes the we-dentity. Uh, we're going to look over in Ephesians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, turn over. <coughs> marriage has this unique opportunity to reflect the relationship of Christ in the church. Not only does the husband and the wife blend together, Christ and the church blend together. That's a helpful analogy. Now, it's helpful in the point of understanding that the church 
starts to take on qualities of Christ, starts to blend in with Christ. It's not helpful if we start thinking that Christ starts to blend into the church. The analogy is only helpful to a point. Christ does not become less Christ. He does not become less divine or less godly. We're a kind of a hot mess. He doesn't become a hot mess. But we become a little bit less of a hot mess as we blend into him. Ephesians 5 talks about how marriage has this unique ability to reflect that reality about Jesus. So we're going to read this, and then we're just going to go through this for our um, afternoon session. Starting at verse 21. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. I, I didn't accidentally start this in the middle of a sentence. If I wanted to start at the beginning of the sentence, we'd be here all day. It's a very long sentence. Uh, why I started here, though, is because this very next sentence connects to this prior sentence. Okay. In fact, if you were to read just the Greek, be subject wouldn't appear. It's a continuing thought. So he goes, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, or subjecting to one another in the fear of Christ, wives to your own husbands. See, he's just continuing that thought. As to the Lord, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject or ought to be to their husbands in everything. Uh, Next slide says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. And last slide here. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great. But I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, I love Paul. He just like gets lost in the glory of Christ. He's like, I love talking about Jesus. Oh yeah, back to the subject. Nevertheless, (laughs) each individual among you also ought to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So he's getting lost in this mystery. Lost in this mystery of the blending of two. And he's just saying, how cool is it that the church like blends into Christ and all the spots and all the blame of sin and guilt that we carry, it's washed away by Jesus. We become a member of his body, much like a husband and a wife blend together and become one flesh. And he's just loving this. And then he brings it back. Oh, yeah. So, husbands, love your wives. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Or, what does he say? Respect your husband. So, we're going to talk three ways that we reflect Christ. Number one, by adhering to submission in godly fear, reverence to Christ. Number two, in the sacrificial love of the husband. And three, the respectful submission of of the wife. So submission based in godly fear, 
sacrificial love specific to the husband and respect specific to the wife. So let's talk about submission based in godly fear. So submission, we should understand this as we were reading, it's not based in a cultural practice. It's not based simply because they did it back then. Right? It's not based in patrias potestas, the Roman patriarchal law that the man gets to decide everything. That's not what submission is about. Submission is about respecting Jesus. He set the example of submission. And out of reverence and love for Jesus, we imitate that submission. Remember that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, submitted himself to God by becoming obedient unto death. He also submitted himself to ungodly men who unjustly prosecuted him and crucified him. He submitted in everything. And out of our love for him and what he did for us, we also take on an attitude of submission. Everybody takes an attitude of submission. The way that this scripture has been, I think, misunderstood is the idea that everybody submits. And it's just kind of a free-for-all. Like, just everyone submit to each other. But as you read through the passage, and even past what we read, he goes on to talk about children and how they ought to submit to their parents in obedience. If submission is a free-for-all, where everyone just submit to everyone, then parents, we need to start submitting to our children. And when they want ice cream right before bedtime, we had better submit to them. Because the scripture said, submit everyone. But the scripture doesn't say that. No, the scripture does say submission is like an umbrella that does cover the house. It's an attitude we should all have, but we arrange ourselves under that umbrella in different ways. Husbands arrange themselves directly under Jesus. He is the one we submit to first and foremost. Wives also, but husbands bear a primary responsibility under the reign of Christ to cultivate life and flourishing for the home. They bear that responsibility to say that I'm going to make sure my wife is spotless and blameless and radiant. That's my responsibility as head of the household. One way we do this is praying regularly. We pray regularly for our households. Husbands, I want to encourage you to be praying for your household regularly. And not just prayer, but being a person of prayer. I want to share this with you from Eugene Peterson in his book, Working the Angles. He writes, Clement of Alexandria called prayer keeping company with God. Keeping company involves gesture and silence, relaxed musing, and intent saying. He's talking about the dance of conversation. Sometimes we listen, sometimes we speak, but it's keeping company with God. Other persons can join in and can leave the company without disrupting it. More often than we think, the unspoken, sometimes unconscious reason that persons seek out conversation with the pastor is a desire to keep company with God. If they're unlucky enough to come to a pastor who's not active in the company, they're going to be disappointed. Husbands, you are pastors of your home. You are shepherds of the flock. You watch over the flock, even if it's just a flock of one. You watch over it. And when your wife is going through the deep challenges of life and she comes to you for help, 
I want you to think she's not just coming to me. She is a woman of God who is seeking to know what does God want for me? And what is God doing in my life? I am looking for some glimmer of hope. I am looking for some crack of light and I want to know what God has for me. And when she comes to us husbands looking for answers, she's not just coming to us. She wants to know what is God doing in my life. And if we're not in conversation with God, how can we help? If we're not keeping company with God and learning to discern his will through his scripture and through fellowship with the saints, how can we shepherd our wives? And so I say, don't just pray for your family. Be a person of prayer for your family. Amen? For wives, submission looks a little bit different. We read in verse 24 that wives submit in everything, in everything, looking at the husband as the head in the household. Now, what does that mean to submit in everything? We know that God does not want wives to sin. And if a husband commands sin, she is not to obey that command. So submission is not obedience. Mm -hmm. Paul is not saying obey everything. He's saying submit in everything. And there is a slight difference there. Submission in everything means that in all the events that happen in your marriage, you respond with a spirit of gentleness and quietness. It has a lot more to do with attitude and the way that we respond to things. So the way this might play out is that husband is not listening. He's not hearing. And he might actually be steering the whole family off a cliff. Wife sees this being a spiritual and perceptive person. Tries to talk to husband. Husband won't listen. Wife raises her voice to be heard. Like a gorilla beating its chest. You know, like, I'm going to get bigger and stronger and louder than you so that you listen. That's not submission. It might be coming from a place of love. It might even be right, but it's not submission. Uh, I believe I have this slide, Proverbs 14, 30. A tranquil heart is life to the body, but passion is rottenness to the bones. So the body is the blending of husband and wife. The tranquilness of submission brings life to that marriage, life to that body. The passion, the anger, the volume rots the bones. It tears at the foundation of the marriage. At the same time, Quietness can sometimes be a mask for manipulation. Sometimes we can withdraw. We can pull back and say, whatever, I'm I'm quiet, I'm submitting, but we're not really. And and quietness shouldn't be a mask for manipulation. There need to be times where your husband doesn't hear you. He doesn't acquiesce to the thing you think should happen, and you accept that. Trusting in the Lord, submitting in reverence to Christ, understanding that if your husband is wrong, the Lord will work things out. You must trust in the Lord. You entrust yourself to him, knowing that he knew what it was like to go unheard. He knew what it was like to feel abandoned. He knew what it was like to pray to his father and ask for something and be told no. And he submitted in all of it. Um, I know Amanda was going to talk a little bit about 
how this plays out. Because I can talk as a guy. Um, it would be better for her to talk from experience. Yeah. Um, so for me, guys, like, I think I even already said it. Submission is not, like, my natural. There are women sometimes I see, and I'm like, dude, they just are so chill. And, and I, that is not me. I have all brothers. I played sports. I come from a very, like, yeah. I have no problem saying what I feel, fighting. Um, I'm not afraid of anybody. So for me, I've had to really learn that submission is directly me worshiping God. When I am submissive, I am worshiping Jesus, and I am obeying God. It has nothing to do with my husband and what he deserves or anything like that. It's completely connected to me honoring the Father and worshiping him. But I've also tried to take a lot of stock in like what's going on when I'm really tempted to not be submissive. Um, and what I have found is it's usually there's a lack of trust, whether it is in God or it is my husband. Um, I'm feeling some fear and lack of trust, and it, it forces me to want to act out of fear, right? And sometimes that's very stressed out, and that's very loud, or it's very like, I can be very... Um, intense, um, passionate, <laughs> but I um, really take a lot of comfort in the scripture in First Peter that Luke quoted, kind of, kind of quoted, you mentioned quietness and gentleness of spirit, and for a long time I would look at that and I'd be like, that's dumb, <laughs> confessing sin, um, I just had such a like negative attitude towards that scripture, just feeling like, Oh, gentle, like gentleness is weak or being quiet is weak. Yeah. And studying it out, I realized like it doesn't even really mean like gentle and quiet. Right. Being submissive is not being a doormat. It doesn't mean just going along with everything your husband wants to do. It doesn't mean you have no opinions. It doesn't mean you have no say in what happens in your house and in your family. That is not what submission means. What it does mean is when things get really hard and when it is really, and I'm speaking to the women, by the way, because I feel like I'm getting a little preachy, sorry. <laughs> Calm myself down, here we go. Um, but what it does mean is when we are stressed out and things are scary and we're not certain and maybe our husbands are trying to go in a direction and we're like, that makes me feel really uncomfortable right now, that we respond with trust. Yeah. It is, how is our heart? Are we stressed out and trying to control a situation or do we trust God? Do we trust God and our husbands and how he's acting? Do we trust God that even if this is maybe not the best direction, that he's going to see us through it? Mm -hmm. um, do we trust that God, that our husbands have like our best interest in mind for our homes and our families? A lot of times I've realized when I'm really struggling to submit, it is because I am not trusting God. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm trying to control a situation. Um, so I just put that out there to reflect on. Um, when you feel that feeling, like, what's going on? What am I not trusting? Um, but I just have, like, a couple of, of practicals, things that kind of help me when I have to bring up things with my husband. There's a lot of times. There's a lot of times. We are very different people, as I shared. Like, I, yeah, and sometimes, like, I came up with a, like, I know what we should do. Like, the second it came up, I was like, oh, we should do this. And then he's over here, like, pro and conning it for like 30 minutes and then it's a different answer you know there's times where like we have to talk things out um 
And for me, it is, if I'm going to bring something up with my husband, whether it's he hurt my feelings, whether it's something I don't agree with, or whatever, if I wouldn't bring it up to him in the way I would like Jesus, like if I was to say this to Jesus, if I wouldn't say it to Jesus, then I'm not going to say it to my husband. Because that's not revering and submitting to my husband. And so I try very hard to, I'm not perfect at it, guys. I have a long way to go, and I'm going to forever be growing in this. But I'm very grateful in the, morning, in the moments where I can slow down and think about these things and respond in a way that I would if I was facing my Lord. Um, the other thing... <laughs> The other thing that I do is, is this practice of slowing down. Um, I, you know, even one of my memory scriptures this year is being slow to speak, slow to anger. Well, slow to speak, quick, wait, slow to speak, quick to listen. Quick to listen. I'm like, what's in the middle? <laughs> Be quick to listen, slow. I was doing it out of order. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Because anger, human anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. And so just this idea of trying to slow down. And one of the practicals I try to do, um, especially when I'm feeling like hurt or annoyed, because sometimes I can feel like, oh, you just always leave the dishes for me. And like, oh, I've been like running around, now I'm going to do these dishes. Or, or like, I don't know, whatever it is. Like these things that are like bothering me or annoying me, I can really hyper-focus in on it. And it becomes who my husband is in my mind. Like he's just always leaving things for me always doing this or you never put your shoes away or you know the always and the nevers and sometimes I need to bring things up with him but I try to slow down before I do it and just say a prayer for discernment and wisdom and think of a few things that I'm grateful for okay he's not putting his shoes away but like he literally took our son out and played basketball with him and got special time with our son and he um, vacuumed the house for me and like you know just a couple things and it sounds like it takes a long time but it literally takes like 15 seconds um, to do this and when I'm able to do that it all of a sudden Luke is not this like always or never he becomes like the more full picture of who he is it's a balance and it allows me to be able to speak to him on whatever but with a lot of like grace and love and respect and so those are just a few things that I do when I am feeling like or I don't want to submit think about how I would speak if I was talking to Jesus and then really try to pray and think about what I love about my husband so that I can come in more respectfully Um, I'd spoken earlier about how men are to lead their homes spiritually bearing primary responsibility for the cultivation of life and flourishing That's what it means to be head of the home. And I want to talk a little bit more fully about what that looks like. It looks like laying down your life sacrificially in love. That's our second point. Husbands, lay down your lives in love. You remember the time when Jesus was washing the feet of his disciples? He was humbling himself, taking on the nature of a servant, which in an honor-shame culture like the one he was living in was unthinkable. Unthinkable. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says a terrible evil it is when a king walks alongside the horse and his servant rides atop it. It's shameful. And so that's why Peter says, never, Lord, you will not wash my feet. So we have an example of Christ the head, Peter the church, and how submission plays in and how leadership plays in. Leadership was humbling himself and serving the body. Peter was not being submissive. 
And he told Jesus how it was going to be. Jesus said, I imagine very gently but firmly, then you will have no place with me. You must let me wash you. Peter immediately becomes submissive. And he's like, then wash my whole body. (laughs) Jesus, again, you don't need a bath. You're fine. You've already washed yourself. That's a perfect example of what it looks like to be a leader of the home. And nine times out of ten, husbands, when you need to step in in some kind of conflict and you need to really like throw your weight around as the man, it's going to be in the realm of spirituality. If your wife is struggling in her faith, is like, I don't know why we should continue on. I don't know why we need to go to church. I don't know why we need to pray. That's when you need to be like Jesus and say, yes, we're going to do this. Or like Joshua as for me and my household, we are going to serve the Lord. We're going to do this. Um, a good example of how men can be sacrificial is the example of the Aurora shooting. You may remember this happened uh, over a decade ago in Colorado. A madman on the premiere night of The Dark Knight stepped into a movie theater and opened fire on the people inside, killing 12 and wounding 70. What you may not have heard about were these three men, Joe Blunk, Alex Teves, and Matt McQuinn, all in their mid-twenties. They were on a date night with their girlfriends. They didn't know each other. They were separate throughout the theater. Um, But when the shots started going off, they told their girlfriends, get down. And then they laid on top of them. And so when the killer came in and was shooting, he shot them. And they took the bullets that would have hit their girlfriends. Um, a journalist from CNN named William Bennett wrote this. He said, by all appearances, these men believe that a man has a responsibility to protect a woman, even to the point of death. They believe that there are things in life worth dying for, and the innocent woman sitting next to them was one. The world does not look at this and say, that's toxic masculinity. The world looks at that and says, can we have some more of that, please? Because that's godly leadership. Jesus said this in the next slide, John 12, 24. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. Want to know why there's so many young men not stepping into marriage and not stepping into their role as husbands? Why they're alone? It's because they're not willing to die. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So husbands, you got to be willing to die. Eh, you know, not a big deal. <laughs> um, let me tell you how this works out practically, though. So the next slide is something called the 51% rule. I-, I learned this from an Amish farmer named Ephraim. I don't actually know him. I saw this on YouTube because my wife is obsessed with the Amish. See, <laughs> blending. She expands who I am. But Ephraim was just saying that when you're picking tomatoes, each person on either side of the vine has to be committed to 51% of the job. Sometimes we go into relationships thinking, I'm going to put in my 50%, and we think, that's healthy. In reality, Jesus teaches us that we should be willing to put in 51%. You should go above and beyond. You should be willing to lay down your life, say, I will take on the heavier burden. And that's true for, for husbands and wives, but especially for husbands. You need to be the one initiating. So for instance, date nights. You need to initiate date nights. 
There is so much research supporting the, the benefit of going on regular dates. When you go on dates, sometimes all you're doing is having a meal and decompressing from a long week of work and raising kids or whatever else you got going on. But it brings nourishment to that marriage. And oftentimes it brings new experiences into the marriages. Maybe you try new things and have new experiences. And husbands should initiate that. Uh, you should initiate getaways on a regular basis. Amanda was talking about rhythms. Remember earlier about like the daily family worship and the weekly Sabbath and the annual Advent? We should also have rhythms like that. We do a weekly date night and we should also have annual getaways. Times where we go and do something special, go on vacation. Maybe this weekend is one of those for you. Also, you should be doing unprompted acts of kindness. Guys, this is one that's so hard for me. Dan knows because I needed his advice this week because Amanda and I got into a bump about this. Because Amanda was letting me know I have a need for romance. I have a need for emotional connection. I'm a guy. I'm like, I need two things. Sex and food. Like that's, that's, and, and I gotta be careful saying this. They don't even need to be that good. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I'm a simple guy. And so I hear, like, I need flowers. And I'm like, can I schedule that? Like, no, like, it just needs to come from your heart. There's no flowers in my heart. Um, But this is where I have to come back under the reign of Christ, under that umbrella of submission and reverence, because Christ tells me I need to give my wife what she needs. 1 Peter 3, 7 says this. This is another controversial one, so we'll, we'll spend just a minute in this. You're, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman. I know to our 21st century ears, that sounds terrible. <laughs> but it's true. Now, there's a lot of ways women are weaker. Okay, we talked earlier about bone density and heart size and all that. Like, there are ways women are weaker. In one way, they're just plain more vulnerable. They're more vulnerable to violence. They're more vulnerable to a lot of things. And so they are in a weaker position in the world. Come back to this in a second. Move to the next slide real quick. There is a pandemic of mental health among youth, as you know. And it's nowhere more pronounced than in young girls. Yeah. 60% of girls surveyed in the most recent study said they have persistent hopelessness and sadness. One third of them said they had seriously considered suicide. The numbers for boys are higher than they were in the past also, but half what the numbers are for girls. So this world stinks and it's hurting our youth. We know that, but it's hurting our girls even more so. I don't know all the scientific reasons why, but I do know women are in a more vulnerable position in this world. So let's go back to that scripture again. So what Peter is saying is husbands, understand that. Understand their needs. Don't look down on their needs as somehow being inferior because we're all tough guys and it's easy to say, you don't need flowers, but you're not understanding their needs. 
They do need flowers. They do need romance. They do need that emotional connection. And it may not come naturally for us, but we need to give it. And here's why. That last sentence, show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. The consequence of me not treating my wife in an understanding way and providing for her what she needs is that my own prayers hit a roadblock. They are hindered. I cannot go to God in the way I would otherwise and have confidence that he is going to hear me and move in me. That scares me. So out of reverence to Christ, I'm working on getting my wife more flowers. Amen. Let's move on to our last point. Wives, respect your husbands. Amanda and I joked as we were writing this um, of how to word that. Wives, respect your husbands because it's a command. Uh, It was one that we workshopped. Um, But it is a command. Respect your husbands. The word for respect is phobeatai. It's a way of using this word phobos. You probably recognize it from words like phobia. So you immediately know what it means. It means fear. Just on the surface, it just means fear. And it's fascinating because when he said in verse 21, uh, submit to one another in reverence to Christ, he's saying in phobos, in fear of Christ. When he gets to wives, respect your husbands, wouldn't you know it, he's saying the same thing. Fear your husbands. Now, let me break this down because words have a semantic range. They can mean a lot of things. I think it's a perfectly good and preferable translation to say, respect your husbands. We know Jesus says, do not fear them that can hurt the body alone, but him who can cast both body and soul into hell. We are to fear God, but we should respect our husbands. I do point this out, though, not just to be a word nerd, but because we respect dentists and we respect firefighters. And we respect people who hold public office. But our husbands are in a category above that. So when we think of respect, I still want you to think of phobos. I still want you to think of fear. There's a reverence we should have for our husbands. Uh, Sadly, you're not getting taught this by the world. You're not going to hear this uh, watching television. Uh, Next slide. We need more husbands or less husbands, I should say, like Phil Dunphy. I love Phil Dunphy. He is so funny. Uh, But he says, sometimes I don't know if I love how much I fear Claire or fear how much I love her. (laughs) Phil is afraid of his wife, right? We need less Phil Dunphys, okay? Husbands deserve respect. Uh, I'm going to tell from a personal perspective, what this feels like for me being a husband to hopefully help wives. And then Amanda uh, is going to share too for the wives. But for me, the way I feel when Amanda really respects me, I feel like a man. I want to be the master of my domain. I want to be somebody who gets things done. I want to know that I have what it takes to provide for life and for flourishing. When I fix the dishwasher, I want her to know I did that. When I mow the lawn, I'm like, look at that. How straight the lines are. Your man did that. Uh, When I hang a painting on the wall, you know, it's level. I did that. 
Um, I, I'm, I'm a glorified animal, really. Like uh, <laughs> the next slide, I, I'm a gorilla beating its chest. You know, peacocks like to strut their stuff. Like, look at men or, or males in the animal kingdom. They like to show off their masculinity. I don't have much to show, but <laughs> when I do it right, I. I I got the beard game on strong. <laughs> but this idea of like happy wife, happy life, yeah. that's, that's significant. And it's not just this, like the way the world uses it of like, uh, I'm going to arrange myself under you and just like whatever you need, wife, like I'm going to make sure you're happy. And then I'm happy to go in my man cave and be left alone. No, no, no. But in a really spiritual way, when I provide happiness and my wife is radiant and spotless and blameless, I am happy. I am the master of my domain. Uh, yeah, that's it. I have a weird note about sex in here that I don't even want to talk about. Um, I'm going to do it because I said it now. And I, <laughs> One way is in sex, honestly. Like, I want to know that my wife finds me attractive. I want to know that she's happy. Okay? Sometimes guys can get into a selfish mode of making sex all about themselves. I don't think that's typically the case, certainly not in Christian homes. If it is happening in your marriage, husbands, repent. repent. Like today, repent. Sex should be, as a man, about making sure your wife is happy. That's what it should be. Now, the way I get happy is different than the way she gets happy. Remember, she needs flowers. She needs that. She needs a little more romance. Mm -hmm. I need to provide that. In the end, I'll feel more like a man because of it, because my mm -hmm. wife is happy. Um, okay, that was my weird, awkward thing about sex. But. I think just to like pause for a second, just to encourage the brothers to really take seriously the need for emotional connection for women mm -hmm. because women typically don't have the same sex drive as men. Women typically don't feel as connected by having sex as men feel connected to their wives. We are emotional beings and that's where that connection really does happen. So I would just even encourage um, husbands just to ask their wives like how you can meet their emotional needs, like what would really encourage them. And, Think about how you can do that. And the reason why is because that will actually help your sex life. <laughs> it will. It really does. Um, but for the women, okay, guys, I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't, I'm, like, the biggest prude ever. Like, I just don't feel comfortable talking about stuff like this, but I'm going to do it. Okay. I'm good, like, one-on-one. -on -one. I'm like, oh, this would be great. Anyway. Um, women. I really feel very passionate about this only because in my own life I've wrestled with just all the issues that go on with women. Like the fact that like we have a baby and then we're tired and we never sleep ever again and then our hormones are always changing and they continue to change until the day we don't even have hormones and that produces an issue. And so I think there are real issues that women face with like just wanting to be sexually intimate with our husbands in general. Some of us don't have that. And you know what, girls? Amen. You're awesome. But some of us, a lot of us usually do. 
it is much harder for us to want to be physically intimate with our husbands. Not because we don't love our husbands, not because we're not attracted to our husbands, but because there are like actual things working on our, in our bodies that just make it hard sometimes to really want to be giving and deny ourselves in that. And I remember reading a book and um, just feeling really convicted about this idea of how our husbands really are, like Luke said, just make them some good food, give them the big piece of chicken and like sex, and they're really close to you and happy to go um, for the most part. Um, and I think it was probably, I was reading this book after having, I was about to have Susanna. I was pregnant with my third kid. And just all the things, right? Like just tired. My body, even at that time, was like, you already put a baby in there. Like, I, you did your job. Good job. You know, just all the things, just having to fight through. And reading that and feeling like, I really want my husband to know how much I love him. It was like in my heart to be like, I, I want to serve my husband. I want to be close to him. I don't want him to ever. I'm the only person he can get that from. Like, that's special, right, right. but I'm the only one. And I, I want to be giving to him in that way. And so I just at that moment, like, decided, like, I'm going to deny myself. But I'm not going to deny myself in a grunting way. Yeah. So when he asks, I'm not going to be like, oh, I guess. Oh, okay. Like, I wanted to be, like, honest because there were times where I'm like, I'm not in the mood. And I would just tell him, like, honey, I'm, I'm not in the mood, but I can be. Can you help me get in the mood? And he has never once been like, oh, yes, I've helped you. He's like, let's go. You know? And, it, and, it's, and it's fun and it's good. Like, it actually brought us closer together because we were working together and we're learning and exploring and just having more fun and taking more time um, with it. Um, and then on top of that, so I, I try really hard not to deny my husband. My husband is not abusive. If I'm sick or whatever, he's not going to be like, you can't do like, You know what I mean? He's very giving. But, and then it was fun. Like, he really does help. When you guys take that time, you can totally get into the mood and overthrow your hormones and overthrow your tiredness. Um, the other thing, I have another point. And I can't read my writing because this is how I make notes. If we ask the question, who has the better handwriting? It's <laughs> sometimes. Um, but I think the other thing is too, sometimes I, oh, I want to encourage my husband. I don't want it to be where he's always having to initiate with me. Yeah. Um, and so there are times where I'll just be like, all right, tonight I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on, come on to him. And I plan it out. And like, it's so fun. Like, Whatever. You guys figure out what works for you. I don't want to get too into detail. But um, I say that because I think for me, like, it was kind of scary, the thought. I think especially of the, like, denying myself. Like, really not trying as hard as I can to not say no to my husband when he wants that. That was really, like, scary at first. And I can tell you, I think it's one of the best decisions I've ever made in my marriage. Our, like, it just continues to get better and more fun and like there's very rare that I'm like not in the mood like it really has like helped heal things and yeah all right I'm done <laughs> first Corinthians 7 verse 1 first Corinthians 7 verse 1 now concerning the things about which you wrote it is good for a man not to touch a woman but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. 
Paul is a single man who had the gift of singleness. He's speaking from his own feelings. Actually, God says marriage is good. So I feel weird contradicting Paul, but I just want to put that out there. He himself says that he's speaking from his own experience. But uh, the husband, verse 3, must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving each other. So, the whole thing we've been talking about this afternoon is how we are blended as one body. It's a great mystery how husband and wife become one. And one of the most profound ways that happens is in sex. And so, there needs to be a consideration for the other. Her body is different than my body. And I need to be sensitive to that. And my body is different than her body. And she needs to be sensitive to that. And if we work together 51%, each trying to go above and beyond, we're going to have a lot of happiness. Yeah. As we conclude, though, I just want to remind you again that the greatest mystery of all is not simply that husband and wife become one, but that we have become one with Christ. Mm-hmm. As married people, you have a very unique perspective. You're on top of the Empire State Building looking out over New York City. You see it from a vantage point that others don't. When people talk about the grace of Jesus and his Love, you get to experience that when husbands are sacrificially laying down their lives for their wives. When we talk about how Christ submitted to the Father, even unto the cross, wives, you have a unique perspective on that as you submit to your husbands. Let's remember these things and rejoice in what God has given us. Can we say a prayer and then we are done? Okay, well, we're going to say a prayer and then Dan's going to come up for a few words. So. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the gift of marriage. Help us be good stewards of it as we've been talking about. As we've been talking awkwardly about the gift of sex, I'm just reminded again, God, that the um, man and woman in the garden felt no shame. Adam and Eve felt no shame in their nakedness. Uh, And so it's a gift, God. I pray that we don't have shame. There's not all the weird hang-ups of like authority and I'm over you and, you know, but we can partner together to really love each other and enjoy this gift you've given us. Uh, May you be glorified in everything. And may our neighbors see how good marriage can be so that there can be a little more church in the world and less world in the church. We know this is your desire, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I'm definitely inspired about the purpose of marriage and the chance we have to reflect Jesus to the world. So thank you very much for that. Uh, guys, we're just a quick uh, few words here, then we'll dismiss. If you're hanging around town, uh, a lot of fun stuff to do now that the sun is out. Enjoy many of the parks that are around. There's Tinkasi Brewery close by with uh, some amazing food trucks. And then there's King State Winery, which this time of year is like, it is singing out there. It's incredible. Glad to stick around and want to do something. Um, and then, of course, tomorrow.